Scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 9, Psalm of Confidence, Confidence for a New Year this morning. We're just going to read the first, uh, the first six verses this morning. This morning we're talking about timeless confidence for a new year, timeless confidence for a new year. Something that I think we are all looking for, our culture's looking for this year. So let's, let's read this psalm together aloud from the board. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins. And you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for once again restoring our, our hope and our faith and our life in you day in and day out. As your word says, even though our outer self may be wasting away, our inner self, our spirit is being renewed day by day by the continual working of your grace in our life. And Father, I'm so thankful that you have given us yet another year to look back on. I pray that all of us can look back and say that we are closer to you at the beginning of 2021 than we can say that we were in the beginning of 2020. But Lord, it has been a challenging year and you have brought these challenges upon us not to destroy us, not to kill us, not to... Uh, not to put us in despair, but to make us more like Christ. And I pray that's exactly what it's done. And whatever trials or joys or uh, events may lay ahead in 2021, Lord, we know that it is all brought about by you because you are sovereign, you are in control, And you're using everything, working out all things in creation to the praise of your glorious grace. Father, we do pray for the downtown area of Nashville and those who were affected by the violence that was done. Lord, we pray for our nation as we are continually being rocked by situation after situation. Lord, I ask that you would give the church a renewed vision. Lord, we are, we are seeing that government cannot help us. We are seeing that um, uh, the things that we try to bring our most security from have failed us. But Lord, what a time for the church to stand up and say, we are the true light. We are the light of the world because we proclaim the light, the true light that has come into the world, Jesus Christ, your son. And so renew our vision, renew our hope, and give us confidence, confidence of a new year, confidence of a a new work that you're going to do. Lord, you have stripped us of our traditions. You have 
you have caused us to look back and see what is important and what is not. It's so easy to become so sidetracked. And so, Father, put our minds on what is eternal and help us to focus upon that. Not what is old, not what is new, but what is on what is eternal and what is truly of you. Lord, we love you. And we pray through this word in your psalm today, we would be more like Christ. Move me aside so that your proclaimed message may go forth. In your name we ask, amen. You may be seated and go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, Psalm 9, the ninth Psalm. Not gonna have a PowerPoint this morning. I thought that uh, it'd be good just to just to sit back and listen and follow along in your word this morning. For those of you who write notes, uh, if you want some help with the points later on, just let me know. To say that we're leaving a challenging year is, uh, is probably the understatement of the year. You know, I heard someone the other day, uh, one preacher, uh, he was on, uh, he was on uh, some show or something, and he said, uh, um, I, I don't think I'm alone in saying that this has been a trying year. And I'm just like, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, <laughs> it has been a challenging year. And, and you guys have lived through it, so I don't need to rehearse all of the, all of the things that have happened. Uh, we all watch the news, we all know. But I think the worst thing are the things that aren't making it on the news. Like, for example, the instances of depression and anxiety are skyrocketing, uh, School grades and our children have suffered because they've been locked out of their schools. Uh, college students are having an especially hard time. I, I actually got to visit with one student uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, he, was, he was so excited about, he was a freshman, he went to his college dorm, he was so excited about college life, and then of course COVID hit, and he's literally been stuck in his dorm all semester, and it has not done good things for him. And so it's just, uh, it's just been a trying time for a lot of people, old and young alike, it has been very, very difficult. Healthcare professionals are overworked, stressed out more than they've ever been. And I've been asked a lot of times if I believe this is the last days. Uh, I've heard pastors that I admire talk about how the world is ripe for the Antichrist to come. And uh, I think that is certainly true, but I don't think we can really know that until it happens. But if you're looking for a little humor... Uh, one thing you might do is just go on YouTube and uh, look at some of the quote-unquote Christian prophets uh, back what they were prophesying about 2020, you know, before the year actually began. Uh, that's pretty humorous to go back and look at. For example, uh, Ray Boltz, he's uh, uh, Sean Boltz, excuse me. He is a uh, Bethel, one of Bethel's prophets out of California, and he prophesied prosperity and newness and a year of unprecedented happiness unlike we've ever seen before. I think he missed the boat. Uh, Sid Roth, if you watch that program, It's Supernatural, please stop. But uh, if you watch that program, It's Supernatural, at the beginning of, of 2020, he had some 20 different New Testament prophets, basically a, basically a who's who of the charismatic church. And every single one of them prophesied prosperity and decreed all of this for 2020. Of course, out of the 20, not a single one of them saw COVID coming. Many of the so-called prophets of Bethel, or I think more appropriately, prophets of Baal, including Bill Johnson himself, decreed success, comfort, and happiness in 2020. 
Most of them predicted that Donald Trump would win. And some of them were sticking to that. Jeremiah Johnson on the East Coast, he's, uh, he's sticking to that. He still says that uh, Donald Trump is gonna be in office for a second term. I think that ship has sailed. Uh, Ken Copeland banished COVID-19 back in March. I think maybe uh, somebody brought it back. Oh, and he also laughed Joe Biden out of the White House, so that was pretty interesting to watch. Now, I, know, I hope after my eight years of being here, you guys know not to put your confidence in these guys. Is, can, I, can I get an amen in that? Just amen. amen. Thank you. I, I hope you know after my eight years and even pastors beforehand that you know not to listen to these guys. Don't even turn on their channel. But now everybody is looking to 2021 and they're hoping for a better year. And, and I, think that that's, I think that that's understandable. I'm hoping for a better year too. I'm, I'm hoping that, that things will change for the better. I pray that the vaccine will be successful. I have my concerns about it, but I, I pray that it will be successful. I really do. I hope that it, is, it, that it does well. Uh, already many in secular culture, however, are already predicting gloom and doom. Uh, there's already a new strain of the virus now that everybody's wondering what in the world's gonna happen with. It's in my state of Colorado. Uh, we always have to go first, I guess. Threats of more lockdowns on the horizon, more trouble for small businesses, and already the same false prophets on TBN who failed so spectacularly this year not to be outdone, they're doing it again this year. You think they learned the lesson, but apparently they don't. Can we have any confidence that this year is gonna be better than last year? Can we really have any confidence? I can't answer that. No one can. But I can tell you as Christians, we can have confidence. We can have confidence. And not in the coming of a new year, not in political victories or defeats, not in the prognux, the, the decrees of people who fancy themselves to be prophets. But no matter what our culture, no matter what our circumstances is, beloved, I hope you believe this. The Lord is sovereign over all. And if we have confidence in anything else, it will fail. Eventually, it will fail. But the Lord will never fail. He will always do what is right, what is good, and what is for his glory. And that Beloved, we can have absolute confidence in. And if your confidence is in that, then none of this other stuff will shake you. None of this other stuff will hurt you. None of this other stuff will take you by surprise. I expect the world to go to hell. I expect the world to do that. But beloved, we have a greater promise than anything this world has to offer. Greater is he who is in within you than he who is of the world. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. You, can, you can get loud this morning. There's only a few of us, so do you believe that? Amen. 
So Psalm 9, that's what this is all about. David, we don't know exactly when he wrote it. Uh, the Psalm title tells us that David wrote it. Doesn't really give us any, any details. And the, the, the wording in the Psalm is, is generic enough that, that it could fit a couple of episodes in his life. I personally think that it probably, he probably penned it after coming onto his throne sometime, uh, close after that. He had defeated the family of Saul. He has unified the nation. And now there's a certain stability that has come to the nation that, uh, now he is in Jerusalem. I think that that's probably sometime in that regard, but it could be after his son's rebellion and after that was quelled. It could be after, we, we just don't know. But we know that David had gone through trying times. We know that armies had attacked him. We know that enemies had come in and tried to foil him. And yet the Lord had brought him through. And now he is writing this Psalm in order to express his absolute confidence in the sovereignty and in the goodness and in the grace of our God. And of course, God inspired that it would be kept in the psalm this morning so that way that when we go through trying times, like 2020, when it seems like enemies are coming at us from every angle, it seems everywhere we look, there is violence. Everywhere we look, there is sickness. Everywhere we look, there is death. We can go back and look at Psalm 9 and we can find the same confidence that David expressed whenever he went through similar circumstances. And so I want you to notice in, in the very first couple of verses, this introduction that he gives us and, and four I will statements. You know, we always talk about the, the five I wills of Satan. Well, these are the four I wills of the Christian. These are the four I wills of David. And he says here in verse one and two um, of not Psalm six, Psalm nine, he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, most high. David begins this psalm with an absolute declaration and determination that no matter what has happened because of, his, because of the confidence that the Lord gave him in his past victories, now he knows that whatever comes in the future, uh, David is going to dedicate his heart to thanking and praising God with all of his heart. And beloved, listen, sometimes that has to be a determination on our point. Sometimes, uh, let's just be honest, when, when times get difficult, sometimes it's kind of hard to praise the Lord, is it not? I don't, I don't think we have to be shy to admit that. We can be real, that sometimes we don't know what God is doing in our life. Difficulties are going on, trials are happening, the world seems like it's falling apart, and we wonder, God, what are you doing? But no matter what happens, I will praise you. There's a determination in that. There is a commitment in that. And more than anything, in 2021, I believe God is calling us to commit to praise him no matter what he may bring. Now, I say I believe that. I'm not speaking prophetically here. I think that's pretty much what uh, God demands of us all the time. But if God takes away everything, if he takes away our financial security, if he takes away our, our relationships, if he takes away everything from us, is he still worthy of praise simply because of who he is? Yes, he is. 
That's what the whole book of Job is all about. That God is worthy of praise though he remove the hedges of protection around us. Though he remove his blessings, God is still worthy of praise. We have every reason to be confident this year, beloved. We have every year, we have every reason as Christians to enter this new year with absolute confidence in God, absolute confidence in Jesus Christ. So we're gonna look at the ways that he develops this in Psalm 9. In verses three through six, which we read, I want you to notice, first of all, that we have, we can enter this uh, new year with confidence because we are confident of the victory of Christ. We're confident of his victory. Look in, look in verses three and six. It says, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously and you have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. Here's the foundation of all of our Christian confidence right here. This is the foundation that all of our hope is found in. It's that, that the power source that we have. And that is this, that Christ has won the victory. That Christ has defeated the enemies. That Christ has defeated hell, death, sin, and the grave. That no matter what happens to me, it is simply a stepping stone to being in the presence of Christ. The victory is won. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? So look what he says here. Number one, that he's rescued us. And, and again, we're not exactly what sure has happened in David's life. And we're not exactly sure what's going on. But regardless, he recognizes that when his enemies turned back, it was not David that they fell to, but it was God. Look what he says. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. That the victory that had brought, been brought into David's life, the, the victory that had been done was not because of David's power. It was not because of his military prowess. It was because that God had won the victory for him. It was before the Lord's presence they fell, not David's. It was the Lord who had won the battle. He upheld and he justified him. It says here that uh, you have maintained my cause, that you have sat on the throne judging righteously. He has judged in righteousness. It's not that David was perfectly righteous. He, we know that he wasn't. David displayed sin patterns throughout his entire life. We know David wasn't perfectly righteous, but that God had called David to be king. He had chosen him and God's cause upon David was just, it was righteous. And beloved, we can say the same thing, that God wins the victories for us, not because we are righteous. We, we know all too well that we're not. But God has chosen us. God has called us. And because of that, his purposes in our life are righteousness. And God will always see his righteousness carried out. Amen? He who began a good work in you will what? Uh, if you mess up, he's gonna give it away. If you, uh, he, he's gonna try to work it out. No, he who began a good work in you, what's he gonna do? He's gonna bring it to completion to the day of redemption. That's why I love that song we sang so much. He will hold me fast, bought by him at such a cost. Do you think God would sacrifice the blood of his own son just to give you up once he's covered you in it? Do you think he would do that? No. 
he will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. God's calls upon David was just, therefore God defended him and defeated his enemies. And notice he goes on in verses five and six that he defeated our enemies. He's rescued us and defeated our enemies. You've rebuked the nations, destroyed the wicked, blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins. You have uprooted the cities, the very memory of them has perished. He rebuked the nations, he blotted out their name. Of course, in the immediate context, David is talking about uh, immediate enemies, people that we've only heard about through the Bible. People like Philistines, Amalekites, termites, et cetera, et cetera. But God didn't do this only for David. He did it for his people. And ultimately, he did so that God's anointed one would come through the line of David and destroy our greatest enemies, hell, sin, death, and the grave. He did it all for us. These victories prefigured the ultimate victory of Christ. And when he destroyed every enemy, he didn't just, he didn't just win that victory for Christ. He won it for us. Beloved, you are victorious in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you know that? In your heart of hearts, no matter what you are feeling, no matter what you are experiencing, no matter how weaker your body is getting, no matter how much you are struggling with depression or loneliness, no matter how much you are struggling with difficulty and sin, you are victorious in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's what defines you that Christ has died to defeat that sin. And though you may struggle with it for the rest of your life, one day it's gonna be blotted out of your memory forever. It's gonna be blotted out. You know, the old saying, I've read the last chapter of the Bible, we win. Well, beloved, that's a little cheesy, but it's true. We win. We win and everything we're experiencing right now is both good and bad. It's, it's temporary. God is our victory. Revelation chapter 23, verses three through four. I, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God is going, just like he says here, the very memory of them will perish. Let me ask you a question, uh, and, and history buffs aside, how many of you ever even heard of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic before this year? A few people, okay. There's always some historians, right? Maybe some medical personnel, but most of us haven't. And beloved, guess what? A hundred years from now, no one's gonna remember the name COVID. No one's gonna remember COVID-19 but a hundred years from now, you're gonna be in the presence of your gracious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You won't even remember COVID-19, whatever it is. So God will wipe away all tears. We have victory. He has, we have victory in Christ. We can enter the new year in that confidence of our victory in Jesus Christ. But in verses nine and 10, we can also enter the new year confident of our safety in Christ. And I've already touched on this a little, but our safety in Christ. Look at verse seven. It says, but the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. 
And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The ultimate ground of our safety in Christ is Psalm 9-7. God is the one who sits on the throne. He is sovereign. His throne is established for righteous judgment. Everything he does, he does well. And you'll notice that those who have absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God are those who are the most confident in life. Those who have the most confidence that God is in control are the ones who have the most confidence to go through difficulties and suffering. His reign is forever and nothing is allowed to take over and thwart his plans. There is safety and security in that understanding, safety and that confidence. Beloved, God is overall. Remember the old children's song? My, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his. The rivers are his. The stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. Beloved, the God who knows the name of every star in the universe knows every hair on your head. The God who is holding all gravitational forces, holding it in place. God who is so powerful. And you wanna know how powerful he is? What happens when you split one atom? Who's holding it together? God. And how many unfathomable billions of atoms are he, is he holding together? When we say if God stopped holding the universe together, the, the, the universe as we know it would literally just explode out of difference. Beloved, we are not exaggerating. God is holding every atom in its place. And that same God who is holding every atom of every universe in its place is the same God who's holding you in Jesus Christ. The power of God is over you. You know, sometimes these, uh, these folks on TBN say, well, you guys don't really believe in the power of God. Au contraire. We believe in the power of God. We believe that God is powerful enough to hold us, that when we are weak, he is strong. We believe in the power of God. We believe that he is able to do abundantly beyond anything we ask or think. We believe it all. And why is that? Because of how God is sovereign. Look what it says. He said, he is, it's not just that he's sovereign. You know, you, most of the time when you get in debates about God's sovereignty, we kind of divorce it from everything else. Don't do that. Because God's not only sovereign, but beloved, he's good. He's good. Verses seven and eight. It says, the Lord abides forever. He establishes throne in judgment. Look, look at verse eight especially. He judges the world in righteousness. He executes judgment for the peoples with equity. He is good. In other words, even though everything may seem like it's falling apart around us, the rest of the world seems as though it's falling off a cliff. One truth that we can anchor our confidence in is that God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And sometimes we just have to console ourselves with that fact. 
Sometimes we just have to remind ourselves the, the truth of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? He will. He is good. Our God is good. I feel like I need to say it one more time. Our God is good. He is good. And he does good. In verses nine and 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. You're not forsaken those who seek you. He's a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Typically in Hebrew poetry, whenever you have a line like that, and there's a lot of them, when you have a parallel line, they usually use synonyms. But here David doesn't. He repeats the word stronghold twice. Because he wants us to know that this is a doubly secure promise, that, that God is our stronghold. It is doubly sure. It is dependable. He is going to establish his righteousness on the earth. He's going to make all things new. He's going to refashion and complete us in his image. And those who put their trust in Christ and his work for them, they will never be forsaken come what may. They will never be forsaken. He will hold us fast. He will hold us true. Matthew chapter seven, verses nine through 11. He says, which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to, good, give, get, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now think about this. This is a wonderful truth. Everything that God does for his children is for their good. It's for their good. Everything that comes into our life is for his ultimate purpose in your life, which is good. You know, sometimes you just have to remind yourself. Sometimes I have to remind myself, Lord, I, I don't know what you're doing. This is really hard. But I know this isn't a stone that's gonna crush me. I know this isn't a snake that's gonna poison me. Whatever this is, I know it is a good gift from you. Whatever this is, I know you're gonna do something good in my life through it. And whatever the Lord does in 2021, good or bad, who is doing it all to establish his righteous reign on the earth through the lives of his people. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work for good for those who love God. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We always quote that verse apart from its context. What's the context? It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined what? To become conformed to the image of his son, that we would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, what is the good that all things are working together for, beloved? It is the completion of the salvation of your soul. It is that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Listen, and if you don't hear anything else today, please hear this. Whatever doesn't bring you into the presence of Christ is given by God to make you more like Christ. 
Whatever does not bring you into the presence of Jesus is given by God to make you more like Jesus. Remember that. Remember that. You know, uh, there's a secular version of that. You know, whatever doesn't kill me will make me stronger. Yeah, okay. But whatever doesn't bring you into the presence of Christ, God has given you to make you more like Christ. That's a wonderful truth, amen? That's a wonderful hope, a wonderful confidence that we have. And so, and finally, we enter the new year confident of that very salvation. Our salvation in Christ, verses nine through 11. We won't look at all of these verses because I'm running short on time. It says here, it says, singing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion, declare among his peoples his deeds for he who requires blood remembers them. He who does not forget the cry of the afflicted These verses, again, remind us to place our confidence in the Lord. Why? Because he's the one that saved us. You say, what do you mean? Well, 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 look at verse 12 for a second. And I want you to to look at this verse because this verse sets up a tension that we're gonna see here. In verse 12, it says, it says here that for he who requires blood. Now, stop right there. Who is that talking about? It's talking about God, right? He who requires blood, why would David say that? Because he's referring in his context, he's referring to the animal sacrifices in which blood was shed in order to, in order to prefigure the sacrifice of the one who is to come. The one who requires blood. This speaks of God's absolute holiness. His righteousness requires that sin must be punished and an eternal guilt must be punished eternally. The wages of sin is death, right? So he who requires blood, the writer of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. There can be no justice. A God of justice must punish sin in order to be holy, in order to be just. But the same one who requires blood, the same one who requires sacrifice, what happens? He remembers them. Who? Well, look at the parallel line. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Those who are overcome by want, those who are poor, those who are wretched. Once again, we see this tension that the Old Testament sets up time and time and time again that God is a God who judges sin because he is just and yet he is merciful and yet he is forgiving. And if God must punish sin because he is just and I am a sinner, then how can God be merciful to me? That is a, that is a tension that the Old Testament is pointing us to. And that David is seeing right here that he is a God that requires blood, but he is also a God who remembers the cry of the poor, of the wretched, of the humble, of, the, of, of those who are overwhelmed by the guilt of their sin. So what does he do in verses 13 and 14? The same thing we must do. All he can do is cry out for grace. 
All he can do is cry out for grace. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See in my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death. He he asks the Lord for grace and mercy. He knows that it is only the Lord that can lift him up from the gates of death. He's the only one who can see him in his affliction. And beloved, in the same way, he is the only one who can lift you up. He is the only one who can bring you out of the clutches of death. He is the only one who can take you that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not fear evil. Why? Because his rod and his staff are with you. He gives you everything you need for life and godliness in this world. And so we rely on his grace. Why? That we may rejoice in his salvation. Look in in verse 14, that I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. That I may rejoice in you. Have you ever noticed that our joy is really not complete until we talk about it? Have you ever noticed that? Like when you've had a great vacation and you you had a great time, maybe at Disney World or maybe at Universal or maybe Magic Springs or maybe at the lake or you caught that, you know, maybe you caught that big fish, right? And what's the first thing you're gonna do? You're gonna tell somebody because the joy is not complete until you tell somebody. And in the case of the fish, you're, it's probably gonna grow in size the more you tell it, right? Because you gotta tell somebody because that's what joy does. It tells people. And let me ask you a question. This year in 2020, which one did you talk about more? Did you talk about the struggles or did you talk about the Lord? Did you, did you, did you, what what do you boast about more? Do you boast about his grace or do you boast about your own righteousness? When we are solid in the grace of Jesus Christ, we will talk about it. When we're grounded in the grace of Jesus Christ, we will talk about that. Let he who boasts, boast not in riches, boast not in wisdom, but may the one who boasts, boast in this, that he knows the Lord, that he knows Jesus Christ. I have more here, but we've come to this, come to the point where we need to bring it to a conclusion. In John 11, Jesus was attending a funeral. And two times he was approached by two mourning sisters who had lost their hope, had lost their confidence. And both of them came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you asked that a couple times this year? Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you had done something, Lord, if you weren't silent God, where are you? We've asked that before. We have. And how does Jesus answer? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, 
Do you believe this? I think that's a serious question that we all need to ask ourselves this morning. Do we believe this? Are we living as though we truly believe that, that we are being delivered from the sting of death, from the reality of hell? Do we truly believe in the grace and promise of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do we talk about it more? Is his grace toward us? Or do we talk more about our own goodness? What are we boasting in this year? What are we putting our hope in this year? Beloved, I don't know what God has in store for 2020 and, well, 2021. And I wouldn't venture a guess. Anyone who does is lying to you. Perhaps your enemy will be financial distress. Perhaps your enemy will be cancer. Perhaps your enemy will be COVID. But no matter what happens, you can be confident in Jesus Christ. No matter what happens. And that, I can promise you, on the authority of the word of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, he will bring his work in you to completion. He will finish his work in you. Beloved, if you get COVID and it takes your life, when your body goes into the grave, so does COVID. It stays there. If you get cancer and it takes you to the grave, cancer goes to the grave with that old body, it stays there. But you will be safe in the presence of Jesus Christ. What doesn't bring you into the presence of Jesus, God has given you to make you more like Jesus. Please don't forget that this year. And I pray that's all of our prayer, that we will put our confidence, Lord, whatever you bring into my life, if this doesn't bring me into your presence, and I know you're allowing it, I know you're bringing it to make me more like Jesus. And that's what I wanna be. Do you wanna be more like Jesus Christ this year? Do you wanna be more like him? I pray that we all do. And if you don't know Christ as your savior, you don't have that confidence, but I would love to talk to you so you can be confident with the same confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we pray that these words have not fallen on deaf ears. We pray that this psalm has spoken to all of our hearts this morning as it has mine this week. Lord, I pray that this truth that you laid on my heart this week, that whatever doesn't bring us into the presence of Jesus, you've brought into our lives to make us more like Jesus. I pray that truth will grip our hearts like it has gripped mine. And I pray that we will enter this year with confidence, with assurance that you love us you are for us and you are never gonna let us go. And though we die, it is simply a step into the presence of eternity. So Father, may we have hope. May we have your peace. And if there's one here who doesn't have it, 
I pray today would be the day that you bring them to yourself. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing this. The simple course.